Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is Psalm 17, so you can begin looking that up now. And while you're getting that ready, I'll pray, asking God to bless us as we read and consider His Word, read the passage, and then we'll go to the sermon. And so let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word and pray that as we read and consider it, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. Your word is more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey because it reveals the truth about you, our God and our Redeemer. Give us a heart which is growing in love for you as we read. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's read Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the words of your lips I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Saviour of those who seek refuge, from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings, from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. How are you? That question can have two possible meanings. Either it's used as a greeting, a way of saying hello, or it's a genuine question. Someone really does want to know how you are. When I was a teenager working at the registers of a shop, I'd ask that question, and I can still remember the responses of some people, especially the older people, usually the older women. They clearly didn't like that this question wasn't always genuinely asking about their welfare, that it was just a hello. I'd complain, but there's no one who'll listen, one said. I'd tell you, but you don't really want to know, another one said. Now, they didn't know this, but I'd have been happy to chat to them about how they really were. Yes, I was only giving a greeting, but if they wanted to pour out their heart, I was happy to listen and commiserate, as much as I could with a line of people behind them. It makes me wonder, were they upset because they didn't feel anyone would hear them? They didn't have someone to call on in the hardships of life. Maybe it was more than frustration at the way language has changed. Maybe no one asked them genuinely, how are you? 
I don't know. But I do know that David always had someone he could, he could come to for help. There was always someone to pour out his heart to. Even when he felt alone, he was never really alone. He knew that he could always call on God when he was in trouble, and God would always hear him. And that's the lesson we have demonstrated for us so clearly in this psalm. Call on God in your trouble. Let's see how David called on God in this psalm. And in the first section, verses 1 to 5, we see David unjustly attacked. This psalm's title says it's a prayer of David. And how does he begin his prayer at a time he's attacked? Does he follow a particular model of prayer? No, he doesn't use the Acts model of prayer, where you begin with adoration, then confession, thanksgiving, and only after that, supplication or asking for things, A-C-T-S. That's a great model to follow, but David doesn't slavishly follow it here. He doesn't follow the Lord's Prayer model, which again begins with praising God, asking for his will to be done. No, as he suffers, he dives right in. This is an arrow prayer, getting straight to the heart of the issue, bringing his heartache immediately to God. This isn't the only way we should pray. Our prayers should be full of adoration, confession and thanksgiving. We should pray for others too. But when you're in need, stressed, attacked, hurting, you shouldn't feel guilty if you don't spend the first five minutes of your time in prayer telling God how amazing he is. Come to him with your need, your hurts, because he knows that you love him and he loves you and wants to hear you call on God in your trouble. So, in verses 1 to 2, David gets down to it. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. We're not sure when this was written, but there were plenty of times David was unjustly attacked. You might remember when David was in Saul's house playing his instrument to calm Saul while he was in ranting. And Saul threw a spear at David, twice. And then there was that time David saved a city from the Philistines, and Saul heard about it and was coming to try and capture him. And David discovers that the people he just saved were getting ready to hand him over to Saul. David was being unjustly attacked. And so he desperately cries out to God, begging that God would show him to be innocent. I've known a few people in a similar situation to David. People have spread rumours which are utterly false. They're being misrepresented. Their reputation is threatened, sometimes tarnished, and there's nothing they can do. It's happened to some minister friends of mine. Someone complained about them to the presbytery, and the presbytery investigated. It's gruelling. People were interviewed, conclusions drawn, reports written, suggested outcomes given. And in the times I'm thinking of, the presbytery has said there's no case to answer. They vindicated the minister. But here's the rub. This all happened in private. The minister can't make this public. Sure, he might share his troubles with a friend or two in confidence, but he can't scream from the rooftop that he's been vindicated. Meanwhile, his accuser isn't bound by the rules of presbytery. They could say whatever they want, especially if they've left the church and are gossiping about the whole thing to a different church. I know others who've been outright slandered and accused of domestic abuse, 
when actually the abuse goes the other way. Maybe you've been slandered over something. David's innocent. Whether God tests the secrets of his heart or sees what he's like in the dark when no one's around, he's innocent. Not that he's sinless, but he's loyal to God, generally obedient to his ways and determined in this matter especially to do no wrong. And that should sound familiar. Remember, the Old Testament is constantly pointing forward to Jesus and David is one of the clearest models. Jesus experienced Psalm 17. He was on trial for false charges. The witnesses contradicted each other, but Jesus didn't defend himself. He didn't lash out. He didn't call on 12 legions of angels. He trusted God to deliver him. Isaiah said he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And Jesus wanted us to be prepared. He said in John 15, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Be ready. Don't think slander or even physical violence is anything strange for the Christian. If you experience it, don't think you've been abandoned by God or think that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. We're leaving the strange times of peace in the Western Church and headed towards the normal, persecution. So pray. Pray when you're persecuted for your faith. Pray for your Christian family as they suffer for Jesus. Call on God in your trouble and theirs. And that brings us to the second section of this psalm, verses 6 to 9. Steadfastly loved. David, clinging to his innocence, leans on his God who loves him. He knows God cares for him and cares about justice. He knows he's precious in God's eyes, and so he calls on God in his trouble, just like we should. See his confidence in verse 6. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. I often struggle to hear someone speaking to me in a crowded room. Everyone else's conversations become a hum which keeps me from hearing the person right in front of me. There's been many times where I've needed to bend down to hear my wife or someone else and I've pointed my ear in the direction of their mouth to catch the words they're saying. But David knows that God hears him. He's not speaking into the air. God doesn't ignore him. His words aren't lost in the crowd. God's ears are turned towards David. Why is David so confident? Because of his steadfast love, verse 7. In Hebrew, it's his hesed. That's a Hebrew word which deserves your memory. You already know a few Hebrew words. Adam, Hosanna, Hallelujah. Add this one to your list. Hesed. It's translated a few ways. Steadfast love, loving kindness, faithful love, great love. This is God's covenant love. He's promised to love his people to keep his covenant promises. And because David is the king of God's people, he can trust that God will protect him. God will vindicate him. God is his saviour. Do you have that confidence? Do you know that God loves you? Even when your world is crashing around you, do you know that God hasn't abandoned you? That God is just as much your covenant-keeping God as he was for David? 
that now, for those who trust in Jesus, we're part of the new covenant. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Like the covenant with Abraham involved a sacrifice, and the covenant with Moses, this new covenant began with the shed blood of Jesus. His death established it. Jesus' death is the proof that God loves you. In Romans 5, Paul is painfully clear about when Jesus died. Was it when we were sorry for our sin? Were we desperately trying to live for God, follow his law, love him? No, it was when we were weak, ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When the world's against you and you feel alone, there's always someone you can turn to. You can pray that God would keep you as the apple, the pupil of his eye. It's an expression. God doesn't have eyes, he's spirit, but he will keep you safe. He'll guard you just like we guard our eyes. The moment there's a strong wind with dirt in it, our eyes slam shut. Whenever I need drops in my eyes, I have to lie down on the couch, force my eyes open, and Beck, my wife, has to do it for me. We guard our eyes, and God guards us. You can call on God in your trouble because you are steadfastly loved. He'll guard you like a mother hen guards her chicks under her wings. Does that mean you'll never experience real hardship? That God's people won't suffer torture, won't have their reputations destroyed, won't have their property and jobs taken from them? Of course not. A quick glance around the world and down through history tells us differently. A quick glance at David's life reminds us that God's people really do suffer. Jesus, the true man of God who obeyed the Father perfectly, who had the Father say audibly multiple times that he loved him, he suffered the utmost humiliation, betrayal and torture. He even experienced the wrath of God for our sin. Satan wants you to think that when you suffer, God doesn't love you. But God promises that he does, and that he's allowing your suffering to produce something good in you. Satan wants you to turn your back on Jesus. That would be his greatest victory over you. It's what he wanted for Job, and what he wants for you. But Jesus, in his letters to the churches in Revelation, promises that the one who holds on to faith through suffering will be forever with God. You'll be vindicated. All your enemies will finally see that Jesus has truly loved you. So call on God in your trouble, because if you've come to Jesus, you are steadfastly loved. You're safe in his covenant, like David was. David was unjustly attacked, but knew he was steadfastly loved. So he has confidence in verses 10 to 15, our third section, that he will be gloriously defended. In verses 10 to 12, he focuses on his attackers, describing them. If they were after you, you'd be quaking in your boots. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. David's on the ropes. His life hangs by a thread. Saul, Absalom, and others closed their hearts to pity. 
They didn't care about David's life. They didn't care about collateral damage. They were determined to cast David and his followers to pieces like lions. Maybe you've seen a documentary on lions, or even just a few clips of them hunting. It's incredible. The lionesses, who do the actual hunting, surrounding the prey, camouflaged by the long, dry yellow and lush green grasses. They stalk the prey until finally they leap out, determined to cast to the ground a zebra or an antelope or whatever it is they're hunting. Their strength, their speed and commitment to the hunt are terrifying. No one would want to be out in the wild alone with lions stalking you. There's no pity in their hearts, only a determination to kill and eat. But remember, David isn't alone. These enemies, unjustly attacking him, have forgotten that he is steadfastly loved, and so God will gloriously defend him. Look what David calls on God to do in verse 13. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. You might be surprised by that language. Shouldn't we be nice? When we pray for the persecuted church, don't we pray that the persecutors turn to Christ? But we also regularly pray for judgment, even if we don't realise it. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're praying for Jesus to come. And when Jesus comes, he'll destroy everyone who hates him and his church. That's a warning for you if you haven't found forgiveness in Jesus. He said whoever's not with him is against him, that he's the only way to the Father, that judgment is coming. In verse 14, these people who hate David have good things, but they're living for this life. Are you? One day your life will end and you'll face God's justice for everything you've said and done, even the small things. God cares about them and he'll judge. But you can find refuge in Jesus. He can be your saviour. You can be forgiven. And when you're forgiven, you will be gloriously defended from the great enemy of your soul, from the devil who hates you and wants you to keep living for yourself, who wants you to suffer the torment of everlasting judgment with him. He's been defeated. And all the people who'll oppose you because you believe in Jesus will be defeated, shown to be wrong either in this life or the next. Turn to Jesus. Find in him the hope of your soul. Here's the reality. Christians attacked for their faith and standing on God's word will be vindicated. You might feel it's a long time coming. But Jesus said every idle word will be judged. Everything done in darkness will be brought to the light. He's the judge and we can trust him. We don't need to take matters into our own hands. He sees it. He'll deal with it. As governments attack God's people, we can rest. As Christians are called anti-women because we oppose abortion, as governments eventually start threatening Christian schools unless they give in to LGBT propaganda, as your friends are suddenly not your friends because you refuse to go along with the world's ideas of right and wrong, you can rest. They're living for this world. But one day, they'll be gone. They'll leave their abundance to their infants, verse 15. But, verse 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. All this life might seem hopeless. Nothing changing, hardships increasing. 
if not for us personally, then for the rest of God's people. But God's people don't live for this world, to get the best out of this life. One day we'll open our eyelids after death and see the face of our Saviour. And on that day we'll know that it's all been worth it. Because while our attackers are left with nothing but judgment, we'll be forever with the one who loved us and died for us. This is the eternity of those who find refuge in God. God is our helper. So call on God in your trouble when you're unjustly attacked. Through the cross, you've been steadfastly loved and will be gloriously defended. So call on God. Pray. For yourself, for others suffering for Christ? Call on God in your trouble, and you will be answered. So let's pray. Our God in heaven, we are so thankful that we can call on you in time of trouble. We know that your word does not promise us a life of ease and comfort and pleasure. Jesus himself promises us that we will be persecuted, that the world will hate us who believe in you. But Lord, may we find in you a great God who gives comfort to his people, who defends us. Thank you that we can call on you because we know that you love us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eaglehawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.